Well, it's good to be with you this morning. My name is Jim Carlton. Uh, my wife, Becky, I'm going to ask her to stand up, look fast, because she's going to be up and down in a split second. Uh, feel free to talk to us after the service, between uh, sessions and everything, get to know us a little bit. But I would like to thank your pastor for allowing us to be here on Father's Day. It's probably an unusual day to invite missionaries to uh, share I'd like to start off, if you would like to uh, turn to Psalm 119, I will get there in a few minutes, uh, but I would just like to tell you how the Lord has worked in our lives. Uh, in August, we will have been in Peru for 40 years, and I think we went there when we were three and four years old, something like that, but uh, it's been 40 years, the Lord has led us in some changes in our lives, our ministry. The last time we were here, four years ago, uh, we were getting ready to return to Lima, Peru. We're with Baptist Men Missions. I was working with what was called the Ariba Program, and still is called that. Uh, there were seven college students getting ready to go with us to Peru. Got down there in May of 2019, and everything went real well with that group until mid-March. And then we had all sorts of problems, because trying to get them home with uh, COVID and the country got shut down, for two weeks, and then two more weeks, and then about eight months. And uh, there was no Ariba program for about three years. And so Becky and I decided it was a good chance for us to step away from that ministry, let somebody a little bit younger work with college students. And we weren't real sure. I continued as pastor of El Manantial Baptist Church there in Lima, uh, but we weren't sure what was going to happen. We called during that time a national pastor, Beto Gallardo. Uh, he came. He's now doing almost all of the preaching. Uh, every once in a while, I can't resist saying, I want to I teach something to the church. Let me have Sunday school. But uh, I try to allow him to do most of the preaching. He's a great people person. He's done a really good job. Uh, and so we were sort of at a crossroads. We didn't know what we should do, what the Lord was leading us to do. Uh, we're too young to retire. And so uh, what, what is there to do? And uh, the director of Bibles International came and spoke at Baptist Mid-Missions Peru's field conference. And in talking to him, he led us to that ministry. Bibles International is the Bible Society of Baptist Mid-Missions. Now, if you're like me, when I heard that, uh, the Bible Society of Baptist Mid-Missions, what exactly is that? What does that mean? I was sort of clueless. I knew, well, they translate Bibles, and sure enough, that's what a Bible Society does. They work with translation. They work with literacy. They work with scripture use. It doesn't do you a lot of good if you have a Bible in your language and you never use it. And uh, if you can't read it, it's not doing you any good. So they work with literacy as well, scripture use. Uh, there are a lot of people that when they get a Bible, at least in Peru and some of the Latin American countries, they feel like, well, this is a way to keep the evil spirits and demons out of my house. So I'd like to have one of those New Testaments to put it in there. But um, two years ago, we began working with Bibles International. I'm a project coordinator for the Americas. And I will just give you a few very brief statistics. Bibles International has 47 projects ongoing in 15 different countries. Asia is the country with most projects. They have 25 projects ongoing in Asia. 
In Africa, there are 14. In the Americas, there are only five. So part of my job is to do some research, visit different uh, ethnic groups, indigenous people groups, to find out, do they have a Bible? Are they using what they have? Do they only have a New Testament? What are the issues? Is there Christian ministry actually happening in those, uh, in those languages? Uh, five ongoing projects. You've already seen the Tinic in, in Mexico. That project is advancing very well. They have three translators who are working full-time on translating the Old Testament. Uh, Fernando that you saw is the lead translator, but there are two others who are helping him, and, and they're just really going to town. There's one in Haiti, there are several in Venezuela, there's one in Peru. But things sort of get, get backed up. Uh, when Stephen and Brad came down to Peru, I think it was October, and went with me, we were doing, I was doing research on a language group called the Wampis. And they would love to have a translation. They would have started the day we were ready to leave if they could have. Uh, there's a backup because Bibles International does not have enough consultants to cover the languages in South America, in Peru, different countries there. Let me just really briefly explain. You've got a target language. That is an indigenous language that needs the New Testament, needs the Old Testament. They've only got portions of the Bible. They have nothing. So that is the target language. The translators usually are going to work from the Spanish Bible. They're going to take that as their source. They're going to take Spanish. They're going to put it then into the target language. And then a person who is a consultant, who knows Greek or knows Hebrew, is going to come and look at what they've got and say, this is accurate, this is not accurate, you need to change this. And we only have one full-time consultant in the Americas. They usually can only do at most three different languages. So the one piece, uh, I'm trying as politely as I can, um, I hate to use the word, keep uh, sort of stringing them along. Bibles International would like to, as soon as we have the personnel ready to do that, so would you please pray that we can get more consultants? That is a constant need. We can't add any more projects really in the Americas until we have some more consultants. They can be national consultants. They can be from the states. So that is a need. And then another need in Peru, we've got a consultant, uh, but we need a translator for the Quechua uh, Old Testament. So pray for more consultants, pray for more translators, and pray for uh, that God would just lead Bibles International in the Americas to the languages that need Scripture, that are ready for Scripture, and God would have us to do. So that is what we're doing. I hope to do that until they say, Jim, we think your job is over, or we're ready to have a younger person in your job. And so when people come up and ask, uh, and I will be 69 in October, when people come up to me and ask, well, how much longer are you going to be in Peru? I say, um, I don't know. <laughs> I just feel like until the Lord moves us on uh, to something else or feels like we're finished. Psalm 119, I'm going to be looking at 129 to 136. Uh, I found out in preparing and studying uh, this psalm, that there was a Puritan writer uh, from centuries ago who wrote a commentary just on this one chapter, 
just on Psalm 119. It's a three-volume work. It's about 1,700 pages. You can be glad I didn't even look at it. But uh, there is a lot here, and we'll just look at a, a little bit of that this morning here. I'd like to read Psalm 119, 129 to 136. Thy testimonies are wonderful. Therefore doth my soul keep them. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. Look thou upon me, and be merciful unto me, as thou used to do unto those that love thy name. Order my steps in thy word. Let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Deliver me from the oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant, and teach me thy statutes. Rivers of water run down my eyes, because they keep not thy law. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you as we gather together to worship that you have given us your word, that your word reveals for us in a very specific manner who you are, your characteristics, what you've done for us, what you want us to know about you, that it also shares with us your son, who is the word that came and walked on this earth for some 30 years to show us what you desired him to show us. And this morning as we look at this passage, look at a few other verses and try to understand some of the things that we have here, the benefits of your word. I pray that that would cause us to worship you more, that we would honor and glorify you, not just in English, not just in Spanish or Portuguese, but in many other languages that don't have your entire word, that you will help us to be worshipers of a great God. In Jesus' name, amen. You probably have heard and you probably know that Psalm 119 is an acrostic. It takes each letter, the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, divides them up into eight verses apiece, and each one of those eight verses will start with that specific letter of the alphabet. If you get to this, Psalm 129, you've reached the 17th letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You can call it P if you would like. And each verse is going to start with that letter. We don't know who the author is. Uh, usually, it has been considered to be a psalm of David. That is not certain. Uh, more modern commentators feel like perhaps it was Ezra. So, we don't really know. But this, uh, the psalmist here is going to give us instruction uh, according to God's word. Uh, one commentator said this, talking about this psalm. He said, the psalmist strengthened himself by meditating on the word of the Lord, which to him was his comfort, his prized possession, his rule of life, and his resource for strength, all of which drove him to desire it even more. So just think about those things. Uh, this psalm, this book, is our comfort. When we need comfort, when we're discouraged, when we're depressed, when we've had a, a loss or a setback in our life, it's God's word that will give us comfort. 
It's our prized possession. In other Psalms, it talks about God's word is something that is very valuable to us. At the time of the Psalms, what was the most valuable thing in all the world? It was gold. And David has said, your word is more precious to me than gold. If you think, what was the sweetest thing that they knew that existed that they could eat? It would be honey. And David said, your word is sweeter than honey. So it is our comfort. It is our prized possession, more important than gold, more valuable than gold, sweeter than honey. It is our rule of life and it is our resource for strength. Except for four verses in this psalm of the 176, all of them are addressed to the Lord. And you probably know that almost every verse, I think there are only four verses that don't refer in some way or another to God's word. Synonyms for the Bible. uh, Law is mentioned 25 times. Testimonies is mentioned 23. Judgments 23. Statutes 22. Commandments 22, precepts 21, word 20, and ways 13. And I've entitled this this message, God's Wonderful Word, from the first uh, verse of this section, Psalm 129, Thy testimonies are wonderful. Your Bible, if it's a more modern version, might say something like marvelous, but God's wonderful word, thy testimonies are wonderful. When we think of the Bible and how wonderful it is, uh, we could think of a lot of different ways. It's it's wonder in how it is unified. Over 16 centuries, it was written by over 40 different authors. Now, 16 centuries is about 60 generations. And to give you an idea of how long that would be, 60 generations... The United States, since Jamestown in 1607, we've had about 16 generations. The Bible and its writing covered uh, 60, 40 different authors, just the wonder of how, in spite of all of that, it is unified with a common theme, a common storyline as God revealed himself to us. The wonders of Revelation, as sometimes we don't understand, you read the last chapters of Daniel, You read the book of Revelation. You read prophecies. You read Revelation. You read history. You read praise. Everything about the Bible is a wonderful book. It is the only book that is living. It is supernatural. And as I thought of that and considered that, you know, how many Bibles do we have around us and how much do we take it for granted? I was working with uh, the teens at our church of several years ago. And we were talking about the Bible, different things about it. And I was curious, how many Bibles do you have in your house? Now, I decided to go through my bookshelves, Becky's bookshelves, and see uh, how many Bibles we had. English Bibles, we had 14 different Bibles, the entire Bible. We had five New Testaments, uh, five different versions and so as sometimes I just went to a store and I saw a study Bible and I thought, man, that would, be, that would be a good Bible to have. I like some of the notes there, so I'd buy it. So I had that many English Bibles, Spanish Bibles. I had 13 entire Spanish Bibles. I had two New Testaments. I had six different versions. And then if you think of your phone, your tablet, man, how many Bibles can we have and access? And then how often do I really really use that. 
So I wanted to think about that today and think about some of the benefits of Scripture that we have here in Psalm 119. And I've got six. I don't know if I'll get over or get through all six of them today, but we'll start and see how far we can go. The first one you find in verse 130, the entrance of thy words giveth light. One benefit of Scripture is it illuminates us. It gives us light. It enlightens us. It clarifies things for us. It helps us to see things correctly. And if there has ever been a time in our country, in our lives, where we need to see things correctly, biblically, it is certainly now. The entrance, uh, uh, the word there, the entrance of thy words, it's a root word that just means a doorway, an opening, an entrance. It doesn't mean physically that I open a book. At the time the, the Bible was written, they didn't even have a book like we would have had. But uh, it's not referring just to the physically opening. It refers more to entering, opening, unfolding. It's a disclosure of knowledge, an understanding of something difficult. A uh, common word today you'll hear a lot of pastors say is, I want to unpack this passage. And that just means he's opening to us to our understanding. To try to help us see that, I wanted to go to a passage in Luke chapter 24. We'll be coming back to Psalm 119, so leave a, a pen or a finger there. But in Luke chapter 24, Jesus has been resurrected. He's walking with two disciples that don't recognize him on the road to Emmaus. And if you look at Luke chapter 24, verse 32, these two disciples, after Jesus has left them, they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Christ did not physically open a book. He opened the scriptures. He disclosed. He helped them to understand something. They are going to understand and have more knowledge from what he talked to them about. And I've often wondered, what scriptures did Christ go to in the Old Testament and talk to them about himself? Uh, I think, man, he, he must have gone to the, the Passover, the Passover lamb in Exodus and talked about him being the Passover lamb. He could have gone to uh, Leviticus chapter 16 where it talks about the scapegoat that is going to, to carry the sins of the people there, the sins of the community. Uh, he could have gone to Isaiah and talked about the lamb and talked about the lamb who was sacrificed for us. But he opened the scripture. And that is what is going to happen when we read scripture. It's going to give us light. Another verse just before that, verse 31, it says, Their eyes were opened. They knew him. They had the knowledge that he was trying to impart from his word. A little bit later that same evening when Christ has gone to Jerusalem, the disciples, the eleven, are waiting for him. It says in verse 45, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And you know, we need to have our eyes opened. We need to have clarity and the Bible will give us that. But sometimes it involves work. One person commenting on that said, some look upon the Bible as a garden of spices in which you may walk and at your leisure pluck the flowers and gather the fruits of the Eden of God. 
but this does not accord with my experience. I have found it more like a mine in which you must dig and labor, the wealth of which is not to be obtained without labor, a mine rich in gold and precious things, but it must be wrought day and night in order to produce them. You know, uh, there's often some things that we can see very shallow, they're on the surface, but sometimes we have to really work to see what God wants us to see in the Bible. But one benefit of Scripture is that it will give light. I like the passage in Nehemiah, if you would turn there, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8, where Ezra is going to read the law. And if you want to see how we regard the Bible today to how the, the Jewish nation regarded the Bible, think of this. Ezra is going to read from the Pentateuch. He's going to read from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He's going to start reading at about 6 o'clock in the morning, and he's going to read until noon. Now, can you imagine if Pastor Wetterland said, we're going to have a special service, we're going to start at 6, and I'm going to read from one of the first five books of the Bible, where I'm going to read for six hours. And guess what? He's going to say, and you're going to stand while I'm reading that. Uh, you would probably decide that's one Sunday you'd just as soon stay in bed. But you see this in Ezra chapter 8, verse 8. It says, so they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. There are some words that just jump out there in whatever translation you're using. They read in the book of the law distinctly. It was clearly and accurately read. The people, the scribes gave sense. They explained the portions as they were being read. And it also mentions caused them to understand the reading. So distinctly, clearly, caused them to understand the reading. They gave it sense. That's what we need to have when we hear the Bible. And that's what the pastors do as they speak to us on Sunday morning. They explain what the Bible says so that it will give light to our lives. That's what happens in, uh, if you have Sunday school, adult Bible study, whatever you call that, small groups, that is a goal to give understanding. First Timothy, Paul talks to Timothy about that. If you would look at First Timothy chapter 4. And I have looked at this before as my responsibility as pastor of El Manantial Baptist Church. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, uh, Paul tells Timothy, till I come. My goal is I want to come to you in Ephesus there, but until I do that, give attendance to reading. And that's probably talking about publicly reading of Scripture in services. To exhortation, to doctrine. So we want to have scripture because it gives us light. It gives us understanding. A second thing is it gives understanding. If you look back to Psalm 119, the last part of verse 130, it giveth understanding unto the simple. It has power to create something in our mind. It is little help to have sight without insight. We have to understand what we're hearing. And it mentions there, it giveth understanding unto the simple. Now, I know simple has several different connotations when we hear 
Uh, You probably don't want to be called a simple person. Here, simple just means sincere, honest, or teachable. If a person is teachable, they are going to hear the word. They are going to understand that. It's going to give them light. And they're going to grasp something from that. Uh, There's really a a word play here in the Hebrew language. And perhaps it could be preserved by translating this as the opening up of your words gives light. They give understanding to the open-minded. And so open-minded here is not just a mind that's willing to accept anything. It's a mind that is honest and sincere and wants to know more. I read an interesting quote by Dwight Moody, and uh, it spoke to me because I saw myself in this quote. I think you'll see yourself in this as well. Moody said, I used it one time to read so many chapters a day. And I think all of us have used Bible plans before, Bible reading plans, where if you're going to read the New Testament, you might only have to read about one chapter or a little bit less. If you're reading the entire Bible, it might be four or five chapters a day. So you you sit down there in the morning or in the evening and you read your chapters. I used it one time to read so many chapters a day. And if I did not, I thought it was cold and backsliding. But mind you, if a man had asked me an hour afterwards what I had read, I could not have told him. I had forgotten nearly it all. How many times has that happened to you? You read something, you go on, and Becky might ask, well, what did you read? And it's like, ah... Boy, I, I don't know. I was in such and such a book, but I can't, I can't remember what, what it was. I can't remember a single thing that I read. And sometimes if the mind is a little bit cloudy, I might read it two times or three times, and I still don't know what I've read. Dwight Moody said that happened to him. When I was a boy, I used to hoe turnips on a farm. I used to hoe them so badly to get over so much ground that at night I had to put a stick into the ground so as to know next morning where I'd left off. And sometimes that's happened to me. I open the Bible up and I'm like, I was in, I'm just going to say, I was in Isaiah. And uh, I can't even remember if I read this chapter, so let me read it again. I can't remember, I don't think I read this, or maybe after I've read it, I'll get to a verse and say, ah, I do remember that verse. That was somewhat in the same fashion as much Bible reading. A man will say, wife, did I read that chapter? Well, she says, I don't remember. Neither of them can recollect. Now, there is no sort of merit or profit in that sort of Bible reading. No blessing comes with it. It is of no more use than galloping through so many columns of advertisement or so many pages of the dictionary. If the scriptures are to profit us, we must ask as we read, what does this mean? So there's our first thing to remember. What does this mean? What does it teach? What lesson may I learn from it? Does it suggest prayer? Does it prompt praise? Does it prescribe duty? It would be well if all of us might sometimes be pulled up in our reading by the question, Understandeth thou that which thou readest? Now who asks that question in the Bible? Do you understand what you're reading? It's in the book of Acts. Do you remember who asked that question? Philip approached the Ethiopian eunuch and he was reading from Isaiah and he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the answer was, 
well, how am I supposed to understand it? I need someone to explain it to me. That's when you go to your pastor. That's when you go with someone who's been a Christian longer than you've been. But the Bible is intended to give us light, to give us understanding. My advice to all of us this morning would be open the book. Open the book. So we see in verse 130, the entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. Uh, in verse 131, the psalmist says, I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. I have here that one other benefit of scripture is it drives us to God. A desire for the word and a love for the Lord go hand in hand. You see that, that strong desire that the psalmist has. He talks about his open mouth, his panning, uh, his longing. Uh, and uh, my memory here, I'm going to get tangled up in English and Spanish. But as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul panteth after God. A understanding of scripture, a reading of scripture will drive us to God. I opened my mouth and panted. I longed. Remember those three words or the words that are in your, your version. An open mouth, a panning, a longing. The psalmist says, I'm like an animal that's been trying to escape somebody that, or, or some animal that's trying to get me and I'm panning for you. That's the desire that we should have for God's word. A fourth thing that we see in verse 133, the psalmist says, Order my steps in thy word. I said here that uh, uh, another benefit of the Bible is it directs us. It gives us direction. You could say, and your, your version of the Bible might say, Establish my footsteps. Arrange my steps. Order my steps. Make them firm. Direct me and give me direction. And that is what we need in our lives, direction. And we can get that from God's word. Uh, as we look at that, it also then continues to say in verse 133, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. For this, I said, the Bible, another benefit, benefit is it, it liberates us from sin's dominion. You know, sin will exert control over us and control us, will dominate us, will have mastery over us. And sometimes we think of that and we think of sins like, well, uh, the sin of alcohol, uh, drunkenness, well, okay, alcohol can have dominion over me, uh, drugs can have dominion over me, uh, pornography, lust can have dominion over me. But there was a book several years ago about respectable sins. And those sins that we sort of, uh, well, it's easy as a Christian to fall into them. Uh, we covet. We envy. And those things can take a mastery over us and have dominion over us. It could be gluttony. It could be uh, sins of the tongue, lying, uh, exaggerating, uh, talking about other people, gossiping. But just think of, of sins in our life. How are we going to be liberated from sins? Thy word have I hid in my heart. For what? That I might not sin against thee. So, uh, 
benefits of the Bible, it gives us light, it gives us understanding, it drives us to God, it directs us, it liberates us. And I'll close with the, the last one. Really, it sanctifies us. It will draw us nearer and nearer to God and help us to go further and further away from sin. So as we think about that this morning, well, what can I do? Maybe uh, you're not reading the Bible the way you would like to, the way you uh, wish you were. And a couple of suggestions. One is to have a specific time. I think all of us know if we don't have a time, a specific time to do something, we know what's going to happen. I really know that I ought to be do some, doing some more exercises, and Becky knows this too. We both know this. Uh, we should be doing some exercises for our posture, for our balance, for flexibility and mobility. And we talk about this, you know, weekly. Uh, we need to be doing this. But guess what? We don't have a certain time that we are like, okay, we're going to move the, we're going to move the chair a little, a little further back and we're going to both come out here and we're going to turn on a, a tablet, a, a computer, a laptop, and we're going to do our exercises. Because we don't have any time for that, guess how often we do it a week? Zero. We never do it. So have a specific time. Uh, that could be in the morning. It could be in the evening. It could be on a lunch break. Uh, if you have a long commute, you use an audio Bible and listen to Scripture. There are so many ways today we can uh, have the benefit of Scripture that people didn't used to have. But have a specific uh, time when you're going to do that. And then have some sort of schedule. I used to, to think, well, I, I need to read the Bible. Let me see. Uh, I've heard that it'd be good to read in John. So you Ah, I sort of like John chapter 3, John chapter 4, Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman. I'm just going to read John 3 today. And then the next day I think, well, I wonder what John says over in 1 John. And we sort of jump around like that. Uh, don't read your Bible like that. Read it book by book. If you're going to read John, start in John chapter 1 and, and read the whole thing. It, it was really interesting uh, while... Uh, Stephen and Brad were with us in Peru. One evening when we were having coffee, we had, we had finished up. We had come off the river, and we were talking about how to read the Bible. And I remember Pastor Stephen talking about a course where it was like, read the entire book. And he happened to be talking about the book of Isaiah, where in the class the teacher said, at least one time, sit down without any interruptions, without any breaks. I think he said you could get coffee. And read it from chapter 1 to the end of the book. And, uh, you know, that was like, wow. He, all, he also said, if it's a shorter book, read the entire book every day for a month. And can you imagine what benefits we would get if we followed a schedule or something like that? And I'm not advocating that you've got to do that. But have a schedule. Have some sort of a plan. And I'm sure that you can find dozens of plan on on the internet sometimes people at church have come to me and they they've said pastor um, yeah it's july it's june but i want to read the new testament in the next three months is there a plan to read the new testament in 90 days well there is they might say i want to read the new testament in six months what's a plan and you you can find those type of plans but have a set time 
where this is the time I'm going to read. Have a, a schedule, what you're going to read. And then I always say, it helps so that you don't fall into this. Well, I read it, but I don't remember anything. Remember one particular verse. Whatever you're reading, just find one verse that speaks to you. The, a light bulb goes off in your mind and you think, I am going to remember this verse the rest of the day. I'm going to keep meditating on that. I'm going to go back to this. You might not remember anything else but that one verse. It might help you to paraphrase it, to write it down, but remember one verse. But just think about what the psalmist is saying here in Psalm 119 on the 17th letter of the alphabet, the benefits of God's word. It gives light. It's going to give understanding. It's going to drive us to God, to love him more and more. It's going to direct our path. It's going to liberate us, and it's going to sanctify us. Let's use God's word. And pray for us, pray for me as I look for projects and coordinate those projects so that they can have God's word. Father, I want to thank you this morning for the opportunity that Becky and I have to work with people who are translating the Bibles, people from different languages, different backgrounds, different ethnic groups, their culture is completely different from ours, but they love you just the same as we do. And help us and help them to, uh, to take the benefit of having your word. Help us not to be people who have it, but never use it or use it very seldomly. Thank you this morning for this church, for their desire to worship and to praise you to lift you up. In Jesus' name, amen.